This is Vito LaBella. Vito LaBella, fighting for New York. Hi, I'm Vito LaBella. This is Vito LaBella, fighting for New York. When I retired from the police department in 2017, I got involved in advocacy, uh, education advocacy at first. And along the way, I met so many incredible people, ordinary New Yorkers who put their lives aside, busy lives, accomplished careers, to fight for the city of New York. One of those wonderful people is my next guest, uh, Daniela Souza Igorov, who founded, after her education advocacy, Families for New York. Daniela, welcome. Thank you. Please tell us about Families for New York. Families for New York, it's, um, it's a website and it's a mm -hmm. platform for, uh, for us to discuss the issues that impact families in New York City and in New York State every day. So we created this website, Shannon Edwards and, and myself, a year ago. It's exactly one year ago, yesterday actually. And we just wanted to talk about the issues that impact our families and if you're trying to raise kids in New York City. So education, of course, crime, transportation, um, now definitely immigration because it's impacting everything that we are doing as a city and as a state. And we just wanted to highlight voices of people that we find interesting in New York City and, um, and talk about the issues that we think are not being covered enough from, by the media. Migration. This is at the forefront right now. So yes. when we do polls of what people are concerned about, it's always crime. But then number two is, is the current migration crisis. Yes. The whole thing, right from the beginning. I mean, look, let's agree that we, we should close the border. Yes. I mean, let's, let's have those Hunger Game buoys from, from the, the head of the Rio Grande to the mouth. Uh, let's make sure that these people are coming in and they're vetted. Um, my concern is that they're here and now we have to deal with them. I mean, it's not a secret I'm running for city council. I mean, the city council and the mayor need to address these, these issues and we need to have policies that will address these issues that, that are negatively impacting all of New Yorkers. Yes, it's a, it's a huge issue for the city. The mayor has said that's gonna cost $12 billion to the city to handle this migration crisis. And uh, the city is already facing, as you know, a $5 billion budget gap next year and the state a $9 billion budget gap that everybody says is underestimated, right? So um, we are in a very dire financial situation in New York and this immigration crisis just make it much, much worse. Uh, it has having an impact everywhere, but, but for me, the biggest impact that it's actually having, it's in women and children hmm. who are crossing the border, right? The border is now the deadliest land border in history. It was uh, recorded last year, almost 700 deaths in the border. And now we are creating all these incentives for children and women to cross this border. And the, the, what they are suffering, it's unimaginable. And I think we're only gonna really have a real picture of what's happening, uh, you know, when this is actually documented in the next months and years. So just to give you a couple of examples, uh, the number of children who are crossing the border alone has skyrocketed. And uh, there is a really nice graph from the Council of Foreign Relations that I can share with you. It, it really has skyrocketed under the Biden administration. Mm. We're creating centers for people to make this really dangerous journey. Um, just weeks ago, two children drowned in the Rio Grande and, and died, a three-year-old and a 10-year-old. 
Um, you have now videos of children being sed sedated and to, to make that cross. Um, these are like prime victims for child trafficking, right? Uh, and so I think the, the, the sexual violence that women are having to, um, to go through the border, uh, it's now well known that when they cross, then they have to pay, you know, being raped by, uh, by the cartels and by uh, the coyotes. And so I think the, the impact that is actually, everything that we are suffering in the city and what we see is horrible, but the real impact is actually on the children and women who are crossing the border, mostly Latino. And, um, and I just think it's, it's criminal that uh, our elected officials are creating all these incentives. They're creating this, it's a made up crisis. It's really a crisis that was created by our policies and by our elected officials. Right. So listen, 2024, let's agree, we need a change in the federal government. We need to flip the presidency, the Senate if we can in the House. That's great, I understand that. But now, as you know, I'm a retired police lieutenant. I did 32 years. And I'm really concerned about some of the impact in, in the subway, in the schools, and, and in the city in general. Now, let me, let me tell you what I see. We see children, six, nine years old, up and down the platforms in the subway, going in and out of trains, selling candy, selling whatever. And, and this is unconscionable. Now, it's, it's so difficult for the police to address it because just taking one child out and, and taking that child uh, into custody, I mean, this, this is a 12-hour process that, that takes him off the road or her off the road. Um, it impacts the next, um, the next platoon coming in. It's staffing issues. So, so the police are like, they don't know what to do. So we need, and this is getting into the weeds with NYPD, right, because I did it for so long. We need to have a, an operation let's call it save the children where we where the police can go and collect these children bring them to a centralized location where we have all of the services that they would need they would need to look at a nurse practitioner they need to get evaluated where do they come from who's caring for them where are they living where are they going to school we need to have that essential location and when you do these operations um, we need to do them weekly or twice a week until we get all these kids out of the subway and off of the streets pedaling. Because listen, I'm so upset because you see them mm -hmm. peddling candy. Yes. But some of them are being forced to pedal a lot worse. Yes. And, yes. And, exactly. Exactly. And, and the idea that that this is now uh, a candy store for pedophiles just just makes me. I can't tell you how angry it yes. makes me. Yes. As it would any. Any mother, any any dad, any any parent, anybody yes. should be outraged by this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the impact that is having our schools. Uh, so New York City public schools now have, as reported, twenty one thousand uh, new migrant students. Uh, you know, in the last six months, one year, uh, we the numbers change every week, right? And and I think that's something that we need to address too, because even if we deal with all the new migrants that are here. Um, every every week there are new buses coming. And so the new students are being placed in schools that have, n have not been prepared to receive students who don't speak English, who sometimes have not had formal schooling for years, right? And they are being placed in schools where there are not enough Spanish-speaking teachers. And literally we had uh, in District 2 where I serve as Vice mm -hmm. President from the Community Education Council, uh, Teachers, school staff asking students, oh, do you speak Spanish? Can you please translate for that student? 
Which is completely absurd, right? To ask a student to now is not going to focus in, in his or her own learning, but to support a new student. Um, the principles are completely overwhelmed. Sometimes it's like you get 50 students, you know, in your, in your, uh, in your school without any, the funds takes months to, to come. And, um, and it's just creating so much um, stress. And, and I think it's very important to understand what's happening in our schools right now. We closed schools for so long. We masked the little ones here in New York City the longest, right? Mm -hmm. It was the, the, the longest it group. It was horrible. Uh, my son, who is now six years old, had two-thirds of his preschool pre experience masked. They're all delayed in their verbal and, and language development. All of them, uh, you know. We are very blessed and we have resource to hire a tutor to make sure that he catches up. That's not a reality for the vast majority. Uh, we have dramatic learning laws in New York now, and so and then you put this extra stress in the system. Like our schools are really just struggling uh, to a level that um, it, it I think is really unimaginable. People don't have a sense of what's happening. Uh, the increasing bullying and violence in our schools, and coupled with the GOE policy of no suspensions, right? Literally, like. Um, I talked to a mother this morning whose daughter was assaulted inside the school and the principal said, I cannot suspend the children who attacked your daughter. Uh, you know, they did, they... did they file a police report? So, interesting, she went to the police and the police said, uh, it's, there's nothing really that we can do and kind of convinced her to not file a police report. She has a doctor's report. Uh, and the, what the school is offering is the social worker is, is offering counseling sessions between the victim and the bullies. Restorative justice. Which is re-traumatizing. She's afraid of going to school. Yeah. They, are, they are delaying her safety transfer. And, and I mean, this is one story that happened this year, but I have seen, I'm my third year now as CC member, and I have seen countless stories like that. It's always the same yeah. pattern. The, the children, who, the, the child who attacks the other, um, gets a counseling session and uh, the, the victim usually needs to get a safety transfer and move to another school. Instead of transferring the aggressor, exactly. they transfer the They transfer the victim. The victim. If the it's victim horrible. makes enough noise and is able to get a safety transfer, because usually they just say, you know, go to a counseling session and stay. Even and stay away from each other. Exactly. Like that has ever helped. And, and usually it's, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, wards. We're talking about violent attacks that have required medical attention. Um, so I think that, yes, the, the state of our schools, it's really in a very difficult situation right now. So I'm, I was a, a twice-elected CEC um, yes. representative, same as you. Thank you for your volunteer um, service. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, I was also the president of the PTO, parent-teacher organization, at my kids' middle school, and now I'm on the SLT and the parent-teacher organization at Brooklyn Tech. So um, again, I focus, I think, because uh, of my of my police background on trying to, to solve the problems and I see one problem I'd like to speak and get your opinion on the, the the vaccinations for these children now we all know that our kids all kids they have to have MMR yes. they have to have a whole host of vaccines yes before they go to school yes now I, I can't even get a straight answer from what I understand these new kids are not being required to show proof of vaccination no, they, they were waived for 30 days. Okay. Uh, you know, we're getting close to 30 days now. And um, it was not, so 
I think there are two problems with this policy of wavering. Uh, first of all, these are vaccines that are very effective. We have known for decades. Right. And we have already had last year outbreaks of uh, chickenpox in District 2 schools, in my district. So uh, it, these are really vaccines that are required and we should be requiring every child who comes to New York City public schools to have these vaccines. It was waived. There was no communication about what is the plan of tracking those who are waived. Are they getting this vaccination now? And if they don't get in 30 days, what's going to happen, right? We don't know that. No, so we're so yeah. So we're all sending our children to schools where there could be an outbreak of, of transmissible so, so, diseases. So, so why vaccines are important, right? Just to tell yes. everybody. Um, there are children who cannot take vaccines because they, they're immunocompromised. Exactly. Yes. So that's the reason that it's so important for everyone else to, to get to the get, vaccines, yes. to have this herd, uh, herd, um, herd immunity. Herd immunity, yes. thank you. So that, so that we protect these children who can't. Yes. Now, look, why aren't we setting up clinics in the schools with nurse practitioners where we talk to these kids, we talk to the parents, we see what have they had, give them an initial examination, get them the vaccines, refer them to a pediatrician, Yep. Okay, and get this done in the schools. Yes. We should be doing this. Yes. I mean, this is something that, you know, we spend so much damn money, so much money. Let's spend money on, on, on solving a specific yes. problem. And this is a problem that needs to get solved. So the DOE should be proactively communicating with parents uh, what percentage of children have had the, the vaccines waived in their schools. Mm -hmm. and and how it is now, the, this work of making sure that all the new students have access to the vaccines that are, that are required. Um, I think this is also the irony of the COVID mandate is ah. not lost on us. Um, so New York City parents have been banned from school buildings. Children were banned from even playing sports outside if they haven't had the COVID vaccine, which we don't have decades of right. data proving that it's effective. Safe and effective. Safe and effective, exactly. Um, and so I think that also, it, it was just another layer of, you know, how mismanaged can this system be? I mean, look, we have nurses in every school. I mean, you get a shot from the pharmacist now. These nurses can be pressed into service. Give them a little bit of training to catch up, and then they can start doing this and, and really uh, impact these kids and coordinate with um, pediatricians, have pediatricians like in a rotation that'll, that'll take these kids, or clinics that'll take these kids. But we got to address this because it's really going to negatively impact the, the health of, of the other students, teachers, staff, everyone, really. For sure. And yes. the kids themselves who are going to get sick. Yes, yes. So the DOE should be proactively communicating with parents uh, what percentage of children have had the, the vaccines waived in their schools mm -hmm. and, and how it is now, the, this work of making sure that all the new students have access to the vaccines that are, that are required. I mean, look, we have nurses in every school. I mean, you get a shot from the pharmacist now. These nurses can be pressed into service. Give them a little bit of training to catch up, and then they can start doing this and, and really uh, impact these kids and coordinate with um, pediatricians, have pediatricians like in a rotation that'll, that'll take these kids or clinics that'll take these kids. But we got to address this because it's really going to negatively impact the, the health of, of the other students, teachers, staff, everyone, really. For sure. And yes. the kids themselves who are going to get sick. Yes. 
And as you know, um, the number of children who are crossing the border now yeah. alone, without an adult, so they probably don't even have the, the documentation, right, to, to provide, to say that they have had the vaccines. Uh, there is a chart from the Council for Our Relations that show that the, the number of children who cross the border alone has skyrocketed under the, the Biden so what about, administration. So, Daniela, so Families for New York, I know you're very concerned with the asylum and the kind of the disinformation that the government is, is putting out there about the difference between asylum seekers, migrants, illegal, uh, illegal aliens. So, so help us out here, explain it to us and, and what's really going on. Yes, um, so there are, I think there are three uh, categories that, we, that people really need to know. And this is very personal to me because as you know, my husband's from Ukraine and mm -hmm. his family became refugees last year. At the age of 85, his grandparents lost everything. Uh, were two weeks in their apartment being bombed and really were forced to leave their house and, and live their entire life, um, you know, back there and then were accepted here. So there are people who are refugees who were forcibly removed from their land or their house or their, or their country, like uh, our Ukrainian family. And these, these are vast majority women and children, uh, you know, the vast majority of, of uh, Ukrainian men are fighting right in the war. So mm. refugees are usually women and children and the ones that have been vetted by the UN, um, you know, come primarily from three countries, Ukraine, Afghanistan and Syria. The US have made a commitment to take a number of refugees and we're way under that quota. Uh, and so if I have a, a magic wand yeah. <laughs> and I could like change our immigration policy, I would prioritize actual refugees who are women, children, who are vulnerable, who have been forced out of their country and who we have already made a commitment to them. Um, and this is a different population than, than, the, than the individuals who are coming in over the southern border. Completely different, completely different. So uh, our mayor and our governor keeps calling them asylum seekers. They are not asylum seekers. They are economic migrants who are coming here uh, in search of a better opportunity. I am also a, an immigrant to this country. I completely understand, but I think we need to have a process and really our immigration policy should focus on uh, you know, either legal immigrants who can really add to our economy and contribute to this country or who are the most vulnerable groups. Um, the 80% of the, the migrants who are coming now are men of military age. They are walking miles, surviving the desert, crossing a river where children are drowning and dying. These are not the most vulnerable people. No, These they're are not. not. They're not. Uh, let's just establish that. And they keep calling them asylum seeker, but there is a process to establish asylum. Uh, you need to, to have what you call the, the interview to uh, prove that you have a credible threat in your country, right? Um, they have not had this interview. Uh, last year, the U.S. granted 36,000 asylum. Hmm. We have now over 100,000 have come to New York. Uh, you know, just New York. In this wave, just in just New, New York. York. Just in New York. Uh, the, the, the majority of people are coming are coming from uh, Haiti, Colombia, Venezuela. These are countries that have very high rejection rate for asylum seekers. And, and so I, I really think that there's a confusion of yeah. terms. And they're coming in and they're not even being vetted. No, they're, they're absolutely saying, not. They're saying, here's a piece of paper, come back to court in three years or, or contact us Five in three years. years. Five years. Five years, yes. And then they just disappear into the ether. 
Exactly. And they come to New York because New York's a sanctuary city. We don't cooperate with the federal government. We have right to shelter. Right to shelter. So oh, that's the other thing. Now, yes. right to shelter was originally for, for vulnerable New Yorkers, veterans who, who, who were on the street and they needed a place to stay. Yes. The mayor, I think, inappropriately and wrongly said it applies to everybody. You know, come in from all over the world, you don't need a hotel, you have a right to stay here for 90 days. On the city, on the local level, the mayor needs to rescind that policy. Absolutely. He could do it with his signature. The city council, the Common Sense Caucus, should have a resolution asking him to do it, and uh, we, we, can't, we can't continue down this path. And because we have this policy, we are a magnet. They want to blame yes. different states for sending people. Yes. They send a small percentage of people. You don't have to say you don't have to do that. Send them. They're coming themselves because we're opening the uh, opening the doors. Yes. And we just can't do it because, as families from New York knows, twelve billion dollar budget caps. Where is all of these resources going to come from? The city is going to implode in yes, on itself. Exactly. And and just today was in the Wall Street Journal that. Um, AOC now wants to tax not just the 1% riches in New York, which are actually people who are doing, you know, seven-figure salaries. She wants now to, ta to tax the 5% top. That includes couples who make $250,000. So a cop and a nurse. A cop and a nurse. Right? My friends, my worker, exactly. co-workers, yes. And, and a teacher. Two a th teachers. Two teachers. Uh, you are going to now be paying higher taxes for us to support economic migrants that um, I really think there needs to be a process, there needs to be a vetting process, and, and again, when people say, oh, this is xenophobic, you're against immigration, and I ask them, how many refugees do you have in your home? Because I have three of them in my home. <laughs> and so I'm not against immigration, I really think we need to have uh, refugees, to accept more refugees, but let's do this through a legal process, uh, through a process that makes sense, and that doesn't put this burden, enor enormous burden in our schools, in our, in our communities here with crime, with all of this. There, there is a way to do this uh, well-managed, uh, with common sense, yeah. with compassion, uh, and in a way that doesn't really uh, you know, bankrupt our city and state. Daniela, thank you so much thank for you. coming. And thank you so much for your advocacy and all your work and your friendship over the last few years. It is an honor to work with you, and I hope we continue to work together in the future. Thank you so much, Vito.